0: Hello, everybody, and happy new year. Welcome to 2024 on health. And I am so excited to be here with you. I don't create New Year's resolutions, and I'll tell you why. I feel that they are just kind of a setup for putting pressure on ourselves and then disappointment. And the research backs me up. The research shows us that within three weeks, most people are not sticking to their new year's resolutions, and they're feeling pretty disappointed in themselves. But one thing I do at the beginning of each year, I start doing it at the end of the year, and then I kind of carry it into the new year with me, is reflect on how it is that I want to live my life. How do I want to feel going into each day? How do I want to feel in the middle of the day, at the end of the day? And for me, the feeling that I really dislike the most is when I am under constant pressure to do the next thing and do the next thing and do the next thing. And I'm sure y'all are feeling me on that one. So what I found is that the way to keep from being in constant overwhelm, and believe me, I get into overwhelm too, is to Take stock of my priorities. How is it that I want to feel each day? And for me, what I don't want to feel each day is constant pressure and this constant feeling like I'm never doing enough, never getting it all done. And that tends to happen when we overload what we've got on our plates, what we've taken on. Taking on too much is a big issue for so many of us, myself included. And if you're a busy professional, if you're a mom- All the things, there's already an inherent big load on your plate. You know, there's an expression if you want something done, ask a busy person. And I'm often the busy person that gets asked because I get stuff done. We also know that when we're as women in a circle of folks at maybe a board meeting or a PTA meeting or whatever kind of gathering it is, it's often the mom or the woman or the busy woman who raises their hand to volunteer or when they're asked, says yes. And all of a sudden we find too many things on our plate. One of the clear symptoms for me of having too many things on your plate is when something that you've said yes to gets canceled and you're actually secretly thrilled. You kind of do a happy dance when that event or gathering or whatever it was that you were supposed to show up for is just like, oh, sorry, it's not happening. And you're like, yes. If you're feeling that way, this is a great time to take stock of what you're saying yes to and what your priorities are. And that's what today's podcast is all about, the importance of healthy boundaries. This podcast is actually a replay of one that I recorded on a vacation last year in 2023 in Jamaica. And it was, sorry, actually in 2022, so it was December of 2022 that I recorded this. And so you're going to have two introductions to this podcast because there was a funny thing that happened when I was recording the podcast from Jamaica. So I welcome you to welcome in 2024, not with a whole lot of resolutions and things that you're adding to your plate, but with one idea in mind, multiplication by subtraction. The idea that we actually get more done and feel at more peace when we remove the overwhelm, when we remove having too many things on our plate at once. So enjoy, and I hope that this is an invitation to enter this new year with a deep sense of what's important to you, a deep sense of your value and worth, a deep sense of when you want to say yes, and when you have the space to say no thank you. So that you can create better boundaries in your life this year. And maybe that is, if there is any resolution, the one that you make. The resolution to have better boundaries to take care of your time, your mental health, and your well-being. Enjoy. From the stuff your mother never told you to the stuff your doctor never learned, on health is what happens when a midwife plus a Yale-trained MD. Shares about all things women's health, from periods to menopause, sex to reproductive health politics, motherhood to mental health. Join me for taboo busting conversations that demystify and destigmatize our bodies, all while bridging the gap between conventional medicine and wellness. Along the way, we'll be exploring the science and wisdom of how our bodies work, what makes us well, what gets in the way, and how we can live our best lives on our terms. When it comes to women's health and well-being, there's nothing we won't talk about. The new medicine for women is here. I'm Dr. Aviva Ram. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, everybody. This is Dr. Aviva. And if you happen to hear this peculiar sound... At any point while you're listening to today's episode, no, it's not your ears and it's not your earbuds either. I'm recording from Jamaica and I'm on holiday. And when we listened to the playback, we discovered that about 30 minutes into my recording, which I was doing on a beautiful evening here, All of a sudden, the tree frogs started peeping. So we've reduced that sound in the audio as much as possible, but you may occasionally hear it. So I just wanted to make sure you knew that you were not having any kind of strange auditory hallucination. And thank you for bearing with it. If you do happen to hear that sound, we decided that the recording was so juicy, I was not going to do it again because I wanted to deliver the original version to you. And you can just imagine that you're in the Caribbean with me on a sunset beach, listening to the tree frogs in the background as you listen to today's episode. Enjoy. Hi, Dr. Ram. I'm currently founding a health tech platform with the prior chief technology officer of insert a major startup transportation business of the last decade's name. We are looking for a holistic lifestyle MD who is not afraid of content or startups to come on board with us and create something amazing that you dream up. I love your women's health midwife content. I think we could come up with some amazing programming together. I can't wait to give you my private cell and schedule a call when you're free. Call me. Hi, Dr. Ram, my book drops in six weeks. I'd gladly trade you my book for your time if you'd write a blurb for me. I'd feature it on my Amazon sales page, my website, and my Facebook page. Hi, Dr. Ram, I know it's last minute, but for our one-hour interview in a few hours, can you answer these 12 questions, including the physiology behind these five hormones and these four conditions and how they interact with coffee consumption? Sorry, we didn't send these sooner. Even just 15 minutes into my inbox, the asks are pouring in, along with the potential decisions I have to make about each one, and the email that then needs to follow for a response. And here's the thing, I'm grateful for so many asks, and I would love to be able to say yes to nearly every single one. This exciting opportunity, that wonderful person to meet and collaborate with, potentially financially rewarding opportunities, and people I would love to support and say yes to. But the reality is, like you, who probably has a lot of people asking for a lot of things from you, I also have a full plate of my own responsibilities, my family, my personal passions and mission, and my own self-care, which I've learned is way too easy to postpone. It's taken me some time, in fact years, to get really good at setting boundaries so I can stay balanced and focused on my own priorities, my energy-centered and intact instead of dispersed and spent and so that I have fewer days that are nonstop, but at the end of which I wonder where the heck the day went to and what I got done. The truth is that for many, many years, I said yes to most opportunities that came my way, to the extent that about eight years ago, I had one year where I traveled to 30 different conferences and gave a total of over 35 new keynotes and talks. It's true, I'm a woman on a mission, but the underbelly is that any of us can get burned out including me, which is why I'm talking about boundaries with you today. I take care of so many women struggling with feelings of overwhelm, from taking on too much, from not listening to the messages their body's telling them, that they're too close to hitting a wall, that they're living unhappy and sometimes unwell from too many yeses to others and not enough to themselves. The yeses to others can compound in small incremental ways until we begin to feel the burn. In fact, I wrote a whole book on the impact of chronic stress on women's health called The Adrenal Thyroid Revolution, and stress is so central to hormonal health that I wrote two chapters in my most recent book, Hormone Intelligence, just on sleep and stress, including how overwhelm can tank us. Boundaries also figure into not only what's on our plates, but they're an important aspect of self-respect and the ability to speak up for ourselves and what we need. This translates into what we accept and how we're treated medically, professionally, and personally, all of which impact our health and our medical safety. When we get better at setting limits and boundaries, we get better at recognizing and articulating our boundaries across all settings. If you're pregnant, just think how nice it would be to be able to tell someone not to touch your belly unasked and to say no, even if they do ask. And that's just one of about a thousand examples that we can probably all think of right now about how our space is just invaded on a daily basis. While someone else may think it's celebrating you and your baby to just reach out and have a feel, you may feel like, well, if you've been there, you know, invasion of privacy and boundaries. While learning to set boundaries is relevant in any season of life and any season of the year. The holiday season is the time when women report feeling the most stressed and overextended of all year, often entering the new year already needing a vacation from the holidays. So we go into the new year with a whole set of resolutions about food, exercise, and alcohol, or whatever it is you do to calm the stress response, only to find we're struggling to stick with those boundaries because we're feeling overwhelmed. And it's hard to find the willpower Plus we're already so busy with the commitments we've taken on into the new year. Who really has time to meditate, exercise, or prepare those healthy meals? I've got another path for you that you might consider taking starting now, learning to listen inwardly and using that information called interoception to help you set boundaries that allow you to feel more roomy and spacious during the holidays and into the new year. You can also extend these boundaries into how you want to feel, live, be spoken to, treated, including how you want to be treated at work, in relationships, from your kids, and in healthcare settings. I've personally found that the act itself of creating boundaries is a really powerful opportunity for tuning into what I really need and what my priorities are. Something I always do over the first few days of each new year And usually revisit again around my birthday, which is in June, so halfway into the year, and again in September, because September kind of often feels like the new year. The art of setting, reflecting on, rinse and repeat, redoing those boundaries has opened whole new pathways of honest, true communication and empowerment for me. As I give greater respect to my physical health, mental well-being, and my time, and how I teach others to treat me with that same respect too. Those Things I choose to take on have to truly be in alignment with my personal needs, professional goals, and my life mission. As we slide out of 2022 and hopefully glide with greater ease into 2023 than we have in the past few years, rather than thinking about resolutions, aka more rules to add to your to-do list, a list which most people break within two weeks of the new year. I don't know if you know that. I have a new approach to suggest for a healthier you and a healthier year that's resolution-free and no pain in the game. And that's simply creating better boundaries. It's a powerful and transformative life skill that can open up whole new windows for you and bring you some major aha moments. It's also a powerful way to stay tuned into what your body is really telling you. It's a way to reset around and redefine your priorities and to learn to feel really good about putting those first. And if eating well, exercise, more time for self-care, or that project you've been putting off are on your priorities list, you'll actually find that by setting more boundaries, you'll have time finally to make those things that are important to you your reality. You all know I'm here to redefine women's health, which is why I'm so delighted to tell you about Parallel Health. Parallel is the first and only OB-GYN-founded vitamin offering targeted daily vitamin packs for each stage of a woman's hormonal life, from supporting your menstrual cycle to planning for pregnancy into pregnancy through postpartum and into early motherhood. Formulated by the Parallel panel, which includes OB-GYNs, naturopathic doctors, nutritionists, herbalists, and more, Parallel has recently launched the Cycle Support Pack. This first-of-its-kind solution offers symptom relief and hormonal support through all phases of your menstrual cycle. Cycle Support's 1-2-3 punch of iron ease, bloat relief, and PMS support was designed to move with you through your cycles. As you move through the four phases, the vitamins in your pack change to support your needs and ease your side effects and restore balance to your cycle. Parallel also offers their hormonal balance support products specifically formulated for those who experience irregular cycles and or have PCOS. Hormonal balance support helps to maintain mood, regular menstrual cycles, and promote healthy ovulation and ovarian function. And exclusively for On Health listeners, Parallel is offering 15% off of your first three months with code On Health 15. Head to parallel.co. That's P E R E L E L dot C O now for 15% off your three months using On Health 15. What are boundaries? The American Psychological Association defines boundaries as a psychological demarcation that protects the integrity of an individual or group, or that helps the person or group set realistic limits on participation in a relationship or activity. I'm actually going to read that a second time. This is from the APA, the American Psychological Association. So boundaries are a psychological demarcation that protects the integrity of an individual or group, or that helps the person or group set realistic limits on participation in a relationship or activity. Boundaries come in many flavors. There are physical boundaries, emotional boundaries, sexual boundaries, intellectual boundaries, financial boundaries, and time boundaries, to name a few. In this episode, I'm going to focus primarily on time boundaries because that's where so many women come to me so overwhelmed. But time boundaries overlap with many, if not all, of the other boundaries. The act of identifying or creating your boundaries is important when it comes to communicating what does and doesn't work for you, what is and isn't acceptable to you in all of these types of boundaries. We'll talk about some of these other boundaries, such as in your medical care. In future episodes of On Health, because on this podcast, we talk about all the things that make and break our feeling good in our bodies and in our world. Let's talk today about time boundaries. First, why do we need them? Adam Grant, the Wharton Business School Professor of the Year, year after year, for 10 years now, author of the books Think Again and Give and Take, and an expert researcher on generosity empathy, and altruism says, generosity means caring about others, but not at the expense of caring for yourself. Many of us, however, are giving and doing for others to the point of exhaustion at work, at home, and everywhere, but for ourselves. But Adam Grant also says, by protecting yourself from exhaustion, you may feel like you're being less altruistic, yet studies show you will actually end up giving more because adrenaline and cortisol are tied up in the experiences of chronic stress and overwhelm, which come from giving and giving and giving and doing and doing and doing without replenishing, without having boundaries. If you're a chronic overgiver and overdoer saying yes to everything that comes your way, You may also notice that many symptoms that you just sort of live with actually improve when you start setting better boundaries, including, but not limited to, things like indigestion, headaches, and sleep troubles. These stress-induced chemicals and hormones, adrenaline and cortisol, also have an impact on blood sugar, immunity, hormones, thyroid function, weight and metabolism inflammation, and much more. So as you learn to set boundaries, believe it or not, you might just see some big changes in your health. The obvious benefits of healthy time, which includes healthy emotional and intellectual boundaries, means you'll be happier and have more inner peace and calm. Your work quality will be better and you'll enjoy more focused time. You'll feel more fulfilled because you'll have time and space to actually complete things, which means you'll also feel like less of a failure at the end of every day and less burdened going into the next day. And you'll feel more respectful of yourself and also be more respected by others for your boundaries, at least those people who also have healthy boundaries themselves. You'll love the feeling of being honest with and in alignment with yourself and more honest with others. You'll learn the art of multiplying by subtracting. That means You'll have more time for saying yes to the projects, people, and experiences you want to have by saying no to those asks and things that you're taking on that are not your priority. And we'll get back to that subject of priorities shortly. And you might, again, just find that some annoying and even bigger health concerns ebb away as you create more spaciousness in your life and less stress. But why do we have so much trouble setting boundaries? Well, there are a lot of reasons, and it's especially hard for women. One is that we've been fed the myth of the happy, capable multitasker. Now, this is a myth that's been perpetuated since the 80s. The image of the woman who's juggling eight things. In fact, there are some old Facebook posts and Instagram memes. If you go looking back of a woman literally juggling and in the air is her baby and a frying pan and a book she's reading and something to do with her work. And she just looks completely frazzled as she's just trying to keep these balls moving. But this is literally a myth. And it was foisted on women in the era of us being told That yes, we can be in the workplace, but it's really important for also for us to be managing the kids and the partner at home and keeping the dinner going. And I talk about this in both Adrenal Thyroid Revolution and Hormone Intelligence in more depth, but this emotional work, this multitasking that we're expected to do and how literally it's lies that have been fed to us, but that we have internalized to the point that we think that if we're not keeping all the balls in the air, somehow we're the ones that are failing. And so we take on all these things at one time, thinking that we can keep it all going. And the reality is that most of us do, right? We literally live trying to give 100% to 10 different things, but none of us is made of a 1000%. We're made of the ability to give what we can give. And so we often feel like we're shortchanging our kids if we're fully focused on our work project, or we're shortchanging work, and we're trying to sort of Overcompensate that by saying yes to the things we don't need to do at work when we're trying to give more to our kids. And the list goes on and the hamster wheel goes round and round and round. So next time you think that you're supposed to be multitasking, remember that is just one more patriarchal myth that we've been fed. We can do things serially. And yes, of course we can bounce a baby on our hips and stir a pot. We are amazing. We can do several things at once, but the idea that we can keep all of it going at once and all these big things at once. It's just one of these things that drives us to exhaustion and allows us to say yes to something, one more thing, because if I'm juggling eight, why not nine? If I'm juggling nine, why not 10? And the reality is we often keep juggling and we keep all those balls in the air at our own health expense. I once got an email that had a major ask in it. And the subject line of the email said, if you want something done, Ask a busy person, a.k.a. a woman, which I feel like just says it all. Now, another reason we have trouble setting boundaries is we have romantic spiritual ideas about selflessness, including and perhaps especially when it comes to motherhood. Attachment parenting, which look, I homeschooled my four kids, home birthed my four kids, slept with my four kids. We did family bed. I mean, on and on and on. And often when I'm talking to young moms or moms of any age, moms are younger than me. I'm in menopause now. So pretty much anyone who's becoming a mom is younger than me, but moms even in their forties who are attachment parenting, but you know, they're breastfeeding a two and a half year old and they're feeling exhausted all their time. And their two and a half year old is still waking them up at night and you know, two or three times a night. It's like, look being a good mom doesn't mean you turn yourself inside out and you're gritting your teeth where you're turning yourself inside out or breastfeeding until you feel like your bones are coming out. You know, you're three-year-old and you're waking up four times at night and all these things. Sometimes setting a healthy boundary means setting that boundary for yourself and knowing what is and isn't working for yourself and really being honest about that. And often I'll say to my Patients who are struggling with issues like this, like what examples do we actually want to give our children? You know, if we're miserable doing something, maybe we need more support. Maybe we need other ways to do it, or maybe we have reached our limit and we need to be more honest with ourselves and not look at the, you know, Instagram photos of people who are perfectly dressed and perfectly coiffed and perfectly all the everything because sometimes it's true. Sometimes those people may be having, you know, what we may think is the perfect life or they may feel is the perfect life, but those people may also equally be on uh, a mood stabilizer and an antidepressant. And I can tell you that is sometimes the truth. And these are just sometimes things I also know at the back end of things. So, you know, don't judge your insides by anyone else's outsides or judge your outsides by anyone else's outsides. We have to really go in and be honest with ourselves. So these romantic myths, the romantic myths that we, I think a lot of us have broken through that, you know, we're supposed to have dinner on the table and the kids bathed and, you know, ready by the time our partner comes home from work. But I know people who are still doing that too. And even though they've gone to work all day and statistically women are doing 80% of the grocery shopping, food prep, household chores, taking care of the kids and doing the homework, even when they are the primary breadwinner and their partner is home from work. Their male partner is a stay-at-home parent. So we can have these romantic myths, these ideas that we internalize. And we also may have ideas about selflessness in how we contribute to our communities. So for example, I can't tell you how many home birth midwives I've known over the years who are just completely exhausted and completely run ragged, but feel like they have to say yes to every client that comes their way rather than saying, look, I'm full for this month, and I'm going to refer you to another phenomenal midwife I know, or all the ways that any of us, you know, give beyond our capacity to feel well, but we push ourselves. And I'm not saying I don't push myself to give too. But the point is, how do we give and rest and give and rest as Adam Grant says, not giving to the point of exhaustion, which actually makes us less healthy and less helpful givers, if that is our goal at the end of the day. We often feel that we're supposed to give until we have no more to turn ourselves inside out for loves. But again, these are modern myths based in historical, religious, and patriarchal attitudes about how we're supposed to be in the world and how we're supposed to be as women, which may not actually be helpful for us at the extent that we're doing it. Another big reason we have trouble setting boundaries, and this intersects with the previous one, is falling into what I call good girl syndrome. And I'm not going to go into it in depth right now because I just shared a podcast with you all on how being a good girl can be hazardous for your health. So have a listen back to that one. But bottom line is we're led to believe we should always be agreeable. And look, people pleasing is just so normal for most women because it's an ingrained Shield of cultural invisibility and expected role, but always being nice really just breeds often resentment from ourselves and the feeling of being a doormat. So as we start to tap into this understanding, it's really important to also recognize that sometimes we're doing things out of obligation and out of guilt. And sometimes askers and takers intentionally want us to feel this way. They create guilt for us. So we say yes and give more and more. Often we don't follow the golden rule with ourselves, right? The golden rule that I learned as a kid is do unto others as you would want to be done unto yourself, right? But we often don't treat ourselves the way we actually treat others. So as I talk about in my last podcast, how being a good girl can be hazardous to your health, nice and kind are not the same thing. And we always have to remember to be kind to ourselves also. Neglecting your own needs is not being kind to yourself and not having time to bring your genius and beauty to the world because you're too busy isn't a true service to anyone. Now, another reason that we have trouble setting boundaries is that when you add what has happened in our world with emails and text messages and social medias to the mix, we've truly come to live lives where we believe we should always be accessible. Your devices become like a doorway for everyone else's agenda into your morning, if you check them in the morning, into your day while you're at work. I mean, Slack, if you use Slack at work, I mean, just think about the name Slack. The whole idea with Slack is that it was meant to be a way that bosses and coworkers could reach you all the time. But this just creates a culture of urgency and interruption in which we're supposed to say yes and be available all the time, which means it actually interrupts our work. And some of the most effective workplaces out there have actually created boundaries around not interrupting people at work all day long. So, you know, paying attention to how your devices become vehicles for which you are inadvertently letting other people's agendas interrupt you all day long, and getting you to say yes to things because you're in a rush. So you just sort of say, yes, okay, I'll do that. It's really, really important. I can tell you that I literally have zero notifications on my smartphone. I don't get email on my smartphone. And I have zero notifications on my computer, other than when my computer battery is about to die, or my computer needs an update. So uh, internal messaging, and it's incredibly liberating and people who need to reach me know that, and I, you know, I have very transparent messaging as I'll talk with you about in a minute in my autoresponders that sets boundaries because if I'm always interrupted all day long, I wouldn't be able to do things like create these podcasts for you or write my books or do the things that keep me healthy. So that I can do those things for you or take care of my patients without interruption. So be mindful of how your devices become boundary disruptors for you. Now, most women, especially those in the helping professions, experience what I call helper syndrome. And it's an extension of the things that I've talked about and especially a good girl syndrome. And it's sometimes also rooted in deeper childhood patterns. And sometimes we fill this helper role Because we also need to be needed or feel important. And it's one of the ways that we try to fill that space in ourselves, even at our own expense. So I'm definitely a helper. I'm definitely like I'm someone who I think I would just not know what to do with myself if I couldn't serve others. It's the end all and be all of the things that I do. I want to contribute to the world. But knowing when we're doing it from a place of inner peace and passion and being able to know when to... Rest and when to work and create and when to replenish is very different than doing these things when we're driven by internal messaging that says we're not good enough if we're not helping, we're not good enough if we're not giving, we're not good enough if we're always doing. We should feel guilty, we should feel badly. And our culture glorifies women who put everyone and everything else first. I mean, just think about that. We talk about, oh, she's so selfless, she helps everyone in the community, and that's a beautiful thing, but sometimes it's also not true. And that woman who may be doing that may also be silently struggling with overwhelm, anxiety, depression, invisible symptoms, and feelings of inadequacy. Now, another thing that can cause us to say yes to a lot of things, and this is something that I'm very familiar with, are FOMO, fear of missing out, and financial insecurity. And these can be really powerful players. And for me, Part of why I used to say yes to so many things was something I talk about in other episodes where I talk more about my own kind of deeper negativity bias and some of the program that I grew up with growing up in relative poverty Which is that if I didn't work all the time, if I didn't say yes all the time, if I didn't, you know, take on every opportunity, then I was going to like fall into utter poverty. Like that was a real deep belief that I've definitely done some deep healing work around for myself. You know, for those of you who are experiencing financial insecurity now or fear of missing out, if you say no to an opportunity, again, I really want to emphasize that sometimes saying yes to too many things means that you don't ever finish what is or even start what's really in front of you. And I know how this can happen. Like you open up your email right in the morning and there's 30 emails and there's everyone else's agenda. So you never get that graduate school application in. You never apply for that job. You never start that book that you've wanted to write or just do the things that actually allow you to start to build financial security, even having time to think about what that might be. It really can be very counterintuitive that sometimes saying no to too many opportunities feels like, oh, you're shutting the doors. But saying more strategic yeses is really often where opportunity grows. Now, don't get me wrong. Sometimes you just don't have a lot of choice, right? When I was a medical student and a medical resident, I worked crazy, crazy hours. I mean, it was like 80 to 100 hours a week for years, or you might be an intern in an environment where you just have to work certain hours. Even within those, finding ways to help set healthy limits is really important and having downtime to replenish yourself so that you're not filling up the empty space with more things to do because you're so used to just kind of always being on a roll. And that's another reason that we sometimes don't say no. We're so on the roll of going and going and going that we don't stop until we crash. It often reminds me of when a toddler is learning to walk. They've got so much forward momentum and those big toddler heads, and they just they don't know how to stop. So they just kind of finally fall, and that's what stops their momentum. It's also really normal and natural to want to fit in and to have a sense of belonging. It's part of our survival mode. We need to be part of community, literally, on an evolutionary basis. That's how we survived. We also want approval and validation, but that can show up in the pattern of people-pleasing. And when we're people-pleasing, we're usually almost never setting good boundaries. Interestingly, in addition to kind of like that momentum phenomenon, we're already on the go, we're already doing so many things that we say yes and yes and yes to more and more things. When we're fatigued, when we're stressed, when we're feeling vulnerable financially or otherwise, or If we have a high ACE score, adverse childhood events score, HPA axis or adrenal response, stress response system axis dysregulation in itself may lead to the production of more adrenaline, more cortisol, more FOMO, more sense of insecurity that actually exacerbates our tendency to say yes, the need to fit in, et cetera only worsening our overwhelm and stress. So how do you know if you need better boundaries? Well, chances are from everything I've already said, or just from your own life experience, you're already going, oh my gosh, she is so speaking my language here, how did she know? I know because I've lived it and I work with women day in and day out who tell me, women like you, who listen to the podcast and leave comments or who join me on my social media or show up at my courses. But let me just give you some kind of signs and symptoms physically, emotionally and mentally that may tell you that you really do need to set better boundaries. You're tired and or overwhelmed chronically or kind of all the time. You can't rest even when you do have downtime because you feel like there's something you should be doing. So you know, you're watching the latest episode of your favorite show and part of your brain is still feeling like you should be doing something else, like you should be creating something or completing something or whatever it is doing lot of anything you're irritable and resentful more often than you'd like to be you feel responsible for other people's happiness you sometimes or often or pretty much always postpone or cancel self-care like a dental cleaning a pap smear a manicure a massage to do something for someone else or to do something on your personal to-do list you're unable to say no but you feel anxious, overwhelmed, resentful, or angry at yourself later on when you've said yes instead, or you say yes to something that's a few months down the road. And when that event finally happens, you can't manage it because you've got too much and you're now overwhelmed by it. And you don't know whether to cancel it or you feel like you have to push through to be responsible. You think you're on the edge of, or you're in burnout. You're having physical or mental health symptoms that mysteriously clear up when you've had a long vacation or even just a long weekend off from work or your to-do list. And one of my most telltale is you do a little happy dance when something that you've got on your calendar, even if it's a party or a social engagement, gets canceled because you're like, that's one more thing I don't have to do. I deeply want to help you turn this around because I know how much it's helped me to turn it around, and because I live by a very singular principle in my life, which is cover your kid's ears if you don't want them to hear this word. If it's not a hell yeah, it's a no. So let's talk about how to create, set, and keep boundaries. Step number one is reclaim wellness, or in other words, put on your oxygen mask first. The most important first step in creating, setting, and keeping boundaries is the hardest step because you have to learn to value yourself, your emotional, mental, and physical right not to be in constant or chronic overwhelm and stress. You have a right to put your needs first, even if you're a mama, to value your time and to ask others to do the same for you you have the right to say no to others and to say yes to yourself. It's okay. And even appropriate to, and I'm doing air quotes here, disappoint others. Why air quotes? Well, because really, really the people who love you and respect you, they may feel a wee bit of disappointment if you have to say no, but they're actually going to be respectful of it. And Other people who are healthy about their boundaries will actually respect you for it. This realignment with self requires us to move beyond the good girl syndrome and the helper syndrome and perfectionism and all those things and FOMO and resource insecurity and to get really honest about ourselves. And one way to do this is to practice being a self-protective giver. What on earth is that, you might ask? Well, Adam Grant, who I mentioned earlier, defines two types of givers, selfless and self-protective. Selfless givers have high concern for others, but low concern for themselves. They set few or no boundaries, which makes them especially vulnerable to takers. And I'm gonna talk about what takers are too. By ignoring their own needs, They exhaust themselves and paradoxically, ultimately, end up helping others less, so they might not really realize this is happening. Self-protective givers, on the other hand, are those who are generous but know their limits. Instead of saying yes to every help request, and also instead of saying yes to every potential project and idea and thing that they might do that is internally generated, generated by themselves. They looked for high impact, low cost ways of giving so they can sustain their generosity and enjoy it along the way. Remember, you can't pour water from an empty cup. Eventually, if we overtap it, the well does run dry. So even if you're committed to giving, you have to stop and refill. That requires having space to do so on a regular basis. And again, studies show that self-protective givers are more effective givers over time. How do you know which kind of giver you are? Well, you might've just heard me read those definitions. you are like, okay, I've got a come to reality moment here. But if you're still not sure, go back to the symptoms that I talked about earlier, either hit rewind or head over to my website and look for avivaram.com, Setting boundaries. And you will find these definitions in an article that accompanies this podcast for you. But if you meet any of those or several of those symptoms, make sure, of course, that you're not experiencing anemia or a thyroid problem or adrenal issues. But it may just be, and it probably is, that you need to set better boundaries. Selfless giving is what leads to those symptoms. Self-protective giving is what makes us generous, wonderful givers who are healthy and intact people. Step number two is to decide how you want to feel and what's getting in the way. Knowing how you feel and how you wanna feel is some of the most powerful information we have. This gets back to a term that I've used a few times already called interoception. It's the information that we literally get from our bodies in a variety of settings. So it is that feeling that you get when you've already got to pick up your kids after school. And you always leave work at 2.45 because your coworkers, your boss, if you have a boss, know that you're supposed to leave work at 2.45 so you can get your kids after school. And now your coworker or your boss says to you, but can't you just stay an extra 45 minutes so that you can finish this or help me get this done? Because this is really important for a client. And everything inside you is screaming, no, I actually have to go get my kids and my work day is done. And it's that inner tension, that inner battle between your inner no. And that pressure that you're feeling, it's the physical sensations that we all know we get, right? That knot in our stomach, that tightness in our throat. Paying attention to that is using interoception, the information that our bodies give us. But in order to do that, we have to take time to drop into our bodies on a regular basis so that we can start to identify how we really feel and then listen and pay attention to that. It's a form of body messaging intuition. Your body is your barometer. Your body is your sixth vital sign. It's the gauge that tells you when the pressure is getting too high. It's the Goldilocks that knows the difference between too little, too much, and just right. The symptoms we get when we start to push into stress and overwhelm, physical symptoms like headaches, disrupted sleep, digestive symptoms, aches and pains, if your menopausal, worsening hot flashes, if you premenstrual symptoms that get worse, for example, or symptoms can be emotional, anxiety, depression, irritability, frustration, overwhelm. We can start to get into negative thinking, disaster thinking, negativity bias, the feeling that if we stop, it's all going to just fall apart. And then we overcompensate by working harder, by saying yes to more things. But the stress response and stress and those feelings of overwhelm, those feelings of your body screaming no, even when your mouth is about to say yes to something, is your body's way of protecting you from harm, protecting your health. So when you feel these symptoms, listen to what your body is trying to tell you. This is your body speak. And in my experience, the body doesn't lie. When things are going on in our lives that we can't face head on, they usually manifest as symptoms. And one of those things that we sometimes aren't facing head on is having too much on our plates when we need to say no, taking on things when we need to be peeling them off or at least not adding more. So step number three then is to identify your priorities and make fewer priorities than you think, and then use those as non-negotiable set point. So from this place of being tuned into your body and in tune with your well-being, which requires spending more time doing some deep breathing and getting quiet, getting into meditation space, even if it's for one minute, and tuning in with your well-being. Ask yourself and even get out a journal and spend a little time journaling after you listen to this episode. Ask yourself really and truly, what are your five most important priorities in life now And what would you like them to be over, say, the next year and the next three years? And make sure that you're putting self-care on that list. Figure out currently what's on your plate that's an absolute must-do, that only you can do. What's non-essential that you can flat-out let go of? What you can get help with? And what you can completely farm out? So there are two tasks for you. And this is really important. I actually recently sat down with my best friend who is a busy mom and a busy physician. And we did this together because she was in a place of overwhelm. And what was really amazing was how many things that she really felt were essential that she could simplify or let go of. How she could actually ask someone who previously supported her in another role caring for her children. If she could actually be kind of a personal assistant And what was amazing is that the woman's fee is not actually incredibly expensive. So my friend was actually able to do more of what she loved, which is her work, in a less stressed way, still be able to care for her kids and do it in a less stressed way. While this personal assistant, who used to be an au pair, was now able to come on and help with things like a little bit of dinner prep so my friend could also meet her goal of eating a little healthier and not doing as much takeout or helping with some of the grocery shopping. And it provided a role for this young woman who very much needed a job and loves what she's doing. And now it also allows this young woman to actually switch from being an au pair, which she's kind of outgrown, to actually learning to be a high-level personal assistant. So it's a win-win all around. So your job, (laughs) if you call it that, maybe your practice, or something that you just really look forward to doing is getting out a piece of paper, or if you have a journal, really write down five priorities in your life. Something that you're really dreaming of doing, maybe some things that you actually have to do. And then secondarily, what are those priorities that you'd like to shift to? What do you really imagine yourself? If you could create your dream life, In the next year and in the next five years or three years, what would your priorities look like? What would you be doing that fills up the bulk of your time? Now, after you have figured out what you can let go of, what you can farm out or what you just don't have to do. Look, for years, for years, I can't even tell you this is no joke. It was my priority to learn how to play classical and blues guitar. I mean, I love listening to classical music, which is more like a brain exercise to learn how to speak French and Spanish and to learn to cook more gourmet. And at some point I was like, okay, maybe over my life I would accomplish those things. But really what was driving that? Why did I feel like the need to do that? I'm like a really good cook. Do I have to learn to be a gourmet cook? No, I can really enjoy listening to blues guitar and classical music and still have classical music and blues be great for my brain. And I could pick one language and learn that and maybe do it while I'm enjoying vacation somewhere. And so I took these things off of this kind of like life priority to-do list. And what was amazing is I enjoy those things now much more like listening to music, because it's not kind of accompanied by this like, oh, I should be doing that feeling every time I listen to it. And where these stories come from of all these things we're supposed to accomplish? I don't even know. But then we sort of measure our lives against them as if we're not accomplishing them. So figure out those things. And then I want you to revisit your actual life priorities and refine them even more. Refine them. What are the things that you think you should be doing or accomplishing? And then put those into a realistic order. What can you realistically accomplish in a week, in a quarter, in a year? Because none of us can do it all at one time. And it's really critically important that we figure out what we can realistically, as in actually get done in a given amount of time. Because apparently, we humans tend to underestimate the amount of time that any task will take us. By about 30%. So if you have three or five tasks in one day and you're thinking you're going to get through them in six hours, but you've now underestimated by 30%, that's really nine hours. And you multiply that over a week, over a month, over a year. So don't cram in too many priorities in any given time. If you're not sure how to figure out what you can and can't get done do an audit of your time use. Use a panda planner, for example, and you'll be amazed at first at how often you unrealistically or impossibly overschedule yourself, creating a cycle of failure to accomplish rather than creating a cycle of success where you've actually done those things that you really set out to do. Finally, as part of this step, figure out where energy leaks are happening. I once heard that opening your email in the morning is like opening everyone else's agenda for you before your day even gets started. Are you getting stuck reading your email in the morning and then you go down a rabbit hole of doing things that other people are asking or telling you are urgent, which really your inbox is not on fire? Are you getting stuck in the parent line at school chatting because you feel obligated to when you actually had two hours to work on your novel or do your yoga practice or take that bath that you really wanted to take? Plug the leaks that are the thieves of your time so you're shoring up those boundaries too. And it may literally mean taking some time after you listen, give yourself an hour, go through these practices. Again, you can find them over at viviram.com, setting boundaries is essential for our health so that you can systematically take a look at what's important to you. What are your priorities? Where are the energy leaks happening? What are you saying yes to? where you really need to say no. What have you taken on that you can actually kind of now go back and say, I'm really sorry I took that on and I really wanna do this, but actually, realistically, I can't. If there's something that's on your plate right now that you just absolutely have to finish, finish it with grace and gratitude and the belief that, okay, I get to do this rather than I have to do this, but also use it as a reminder to say no. And a really great tip that I heard is that if someone asks you to do something and they say, can you do this in three months? A classic example for me is, can you come to this speaking event in three months? Or can you give this Zoom talk in three months? And I'll think to myself, okay, well, in three months, I'll have a lot more time because, oh, it won't be holidays and I won't be dealing with holiday presents and holiday time and this and that and the other. Or, oh, I can do it in three months because my book deadline will be passed. I'll have completed that. And the reality is, I know you've experienced this too. In three months, that thing comes around and you're like, oh my God, why did I say yes to that? So the tip I heard is ask yourself, can I do this tomorrow? This thing that somebody's asking me to do, if I had to do it tomorrow or today, would I be able to fit it in? And if the answer is no, then the actual answer is based on data that in three months, you're not actually going to be that much less busy. So if you can't fit it in comfortably now, don't think you'll be able to fit it in in three months and actually decline. So how do you say no? First, here are some questions to take a minute afterward and ask yourself. And really don't skip doing this if you need to learn to set boundaries. It's four questions. When you're asked to do something you really don't want to do or really feel like you don't have time to do, you usually and then fill in the blank. When you think of saying no to someone or to something that is an opportunity, you worry that the other person is going to, or you worry that you're going to lose out on. You also worry that the following worst case scenario might happen. Write that out. And then I want to ask yourself a question. In reality, if you say no, the most likely outcome is that fill in the blank. Another way to always remember how to say no is to listen to your body. What is your body telling you? And use your priority list as the touchstone of saying yes or no. It becomes the non-negotiable starting point. And from that, You have to set some rules for yourself. Remember, you don't have to prove anything, and you can let go of guilt and fear of hurting or disappointing others. The bottom line is if it's not on your immediate priority list, it's a no. It's weird. I love fashion. I really do. Ever since I was a kid, my grandmother, my mother, they made a lot of clothes for me, even though I lived in a housing project. I was beautifully dressed, girl with homemade clothes. And it's just kind of a thing. It's like a nourishing thing for me, the way soup is for me because my grandmother always made soup. But I don't like to buy into fast fashion. I'm really eco-conscious. And also, it's really easy to just buy something and then never wear it, right? So I learned this weird technique I use. If I'm online and I'm looking at fashion or design, I also love home design. I actually have a folder, one for clothing and one for home design stuff. And as I see things that inspire me that I think are really beautiful, I put them in my folder. And then once every few months, like I'm on an airplane, or I'm just sort of, you know, have a little time to just play, or I'm trying to distract myself from something or procrastinating something, I actually open the folder and I clear out. What doesn't resonate with me, and I look through. What are the themes? What are the themes of clothing that, when I wear, I know feel really good, and I feel confident and comfortable. And and I keep those in the folder. Same with home design. Like, oh, that's really beautiful, but that's not going to look good in my house because my house isn't that you know modern Malibu ranch style home overlooking the ocean. I have a country farmhouse, so I call it. And when I go to ever add something to my home or I add something to my wardrobe, my closet, first I look through those folders and I say, is this in my list of what I know I consistently love? So I might see that beautiful frilly dress that looks so pretty in that magazine or, you know, on that online magazines, I don't should be magazines, but you know, that online, whatever, whatever. And I think, oh, I really love that. And then I realize, like, no, anytime I ever add something like that to my closet, it's the kind of thing that I don't wear. So when I put it on, it doesn't resonate with me. It's not in alignment with who I am. So having that folder, that priorities list, that reminder reminds me to stay in alignment and I don't make choice errors that way. Your priorities list is that same thing. It is that touchstone that you always go back to you revisit, is this still my priority three months later, six months later, maybe I've completed this priority. So, you know, I don't need that because I already have that. So anything that comes your way as an ask or an opportunity, if it's not in your priority list, if it doesn't fit into your grand scheme, it's a no. And I use Michael Phelps. I don't know why Michael Phelps comes to mind for me as an example. It's kind of strange, but I just one time heard an interview with him. When he was really at the height of his competing. And it really resonated with me because it was during a time in my life when I had young kids and I was doing my pre med prereqs to go to medical school. And I was also working on my textbook at that time, Botanical Medicines for Women's Health. And so I had precious little free time, but I loved writing my books and I was really excited about my prereqs. But it also meant often saying no to parties and events unless they were you know, something really important and special. And I heard Michael Phelps in an interview and he was saying, yeah, in high school and college, when everyone else was going out for the pizza party or going to the movies or going to the, you know, the keg party, he was going to the pool. And for him, he was just in alignment with what he wanted to do. And he didn't let those other things be a distraction for him. Now, For some of you, the other things may be what's the priority. You may be really that social butterfly who wants to be at those parties, or maybe you're a party planner. That's what you do. But if you have a mission, learning to stay on focus is really important. And the impulse to say yes often goes really deep into factors that I've talked about, like proving and perfectionism and people-pleasing and survival modes that often automatically get us to say yes before we've even given considered deliberate responses. So it's really important to find your no comfort zone and learning how to set boundaries can be really freaking hard because it goes against what most of us have had ingrained into us for most of our lives, right? But how do we say no? So in how being a good girl can be hazardous to your health, I talk about using the Wonder Woman pose. Please listen to that podcast. I teach you how to do it in detail in that episode. And it has been shown to actually be a pose that when we get into it, it actually amplifies our confidence and our ability to speak in alignment for ourselves and what we need to say. Sometimes we simply say, no, thank you. If you're not good at saying no in person, or you're not going to say no, thank you. You can say, let me think about that and get back to you if you're face-to-face with someone or someone is calling you on the phone or emailing you or texting you. If you're comfortable saying no, you can explain your boundary honestly and succinctly right then and there. You can say, I'll think about it right then and there. And then you follow up in writing if that's easier for you to make your boundary clear. You can also provide an explanation or not provide an explanation. It's really up to you. I don't feel like we should be obligated to give an explanation, but we want to be in good relationship with other people and be kind. And sometimes setting that boundary can also be a really powerful example for someone else. So for example, my email autoresponders, because I get huge numbers of requests in my email every day. I can answer 60, 70 emails a day. And that's a fraction of those that I've deleted or just let to go to auto-response. So my email auto-responders explain that I'm in deep focus on work for my own mission. And while I'm grateful to be considered for something that somebody might ask me to do, reviewing a book, attending a conference, being on a podcast, joining an advisory board, answering a health question, I let people know in that auto-responder up front, that I don't respond at all to certain types of requests, and that for other types of requests, they can go here, here, or here. And then I can selectively answer those ones that I feel inspired to answer. You also, as I said, don't owe an explanation. It's sometimes just fine to say, no, thank you. I'm not able to right now. No obligation. End of story. And it's also sometimes important to let people know if they're not taking no for an answer. This is not something I'm going to negotiate about. So I'm not going to write back about this again. That happens to me sometimes. I'll say no to being on someone's podcast, and they'll write me back again. But please, 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 or no to being on a committee, and like, please, 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 and I'm like, I really do appreciate this, and I'm just letting you know this is not negotiable. I'm really saying no. And so I'm not going to respond. And I've I've said it and I've gotten really good. And it's really empowering to be able to do that. Something I read somewhere also said, you don't owe everyone even an interaction. And I really love that. Just like, let that sit with you for a minute. You also don't owe everyone an interaction. And that's especially important if you're on social media, in your email inbox, but also with neighbors, people sitting on the plane next to you. I was sitting on a plane not too long ago and the person next to me kept trying to chat to me. And first of all, I get air sick and motion sick if I turn my head next to me or look behind me. But also I had something I wanted to do on the plane. So I just very kindly said, I would so love to talk with you right now. Please don't take this personally, but I actually get motion sick if I look to the side of me and I really do have this thing that I need to do. And then I put on my headset. Maybe they felt a little disappointed, but I actually felt like I got myself taken care of. I also want to say it gets easier to set your boundaries with others and it gets easier because it also feels so good and it takes practice. I recommend practicing in the mirror, rehearsing, practicing in little environments like when someone tries to touch your pregnant belly or your baby in public. When you get that next ask that you know you just don't have the bandwidth to take on, anything that gives you an opportunity to practice is really important. If you have a big no that you have to give to someone, you can literally practice in the mirror or practice with your sister or your best friend or your partner. The key is to always remember that your priorities and your well-being matter, that doing less is actually doing more and doing it better. And one other way of saying no is to say no with options. And this is something I learned from an executive coach many years ago. And he said, look, Aviva, somebody might ask you to be on their podcast and it's a podcast that you can't prioritize right now. But is there someone else who would love that opportunity? So I have a list of people that when I get an opportunity, That I can't or don't want to take, I have an autoresponder that I can send to the person who's asking me and simply fill in the other person's name. Now, that's only if my person that I've turfing them to has already said they're interested. So, for example, I have a person on my team who, when I can't do certain things, she would love the opportunity to be out front and do that. I can just beautifully and graciously say to the person asking me, I've got a wonderful person who has trained with me, she's amazing and then I don't have to even ask her. But don't just give somebody somebody else's name if you haven't confirmed it first, because then you're just turfing your decision or overwhelm to someone else. Okay, bringing it all home. It's important, in fact, critical to remember that you deserve to put on your own oxygen mask first. In fact, it just makes basic sense. If service and saying yes and Taking on projects or you're growing your career and there are a lot of yeses ahead of you to grow that career are important to you as it is to me. Remember that we serve others better, more effectively and for the long game when we stay nourished and when we nourish ourselves first. And also really, really, really know you do not have to carry the guilt. It's okay to disappoint others and those people in your life who are emotionally healthy, will actually respect you for having boundaries. And other women may just be inspired, as I know happens all the time when people get my autoresponders and actually write back to me and tell me how much they appreciated my autoresponder. And ultimately, what others think still isn't what matters. What matters is your health and your balance and everything else flowing from that. Happy holidays, and I'll see you with incredible new content phenomenal guests, and a whole lot of love and support in the new year. So get out there, set those boundaries, and I wish you the space in your life for all of the wonderful yeses to come. I hope you enjoyed this episode, that it helped you to feel seen and heard, and perhaps that it even brought you some aha moments. Please share the love by sharing this with a friend or someone in your life who could benefit from the kinds of things we talk about in this space. Also, make sure to follow me on Instagram at dr.avivaram and go to avivaram.com to join the conversation about the show on my blog. While you're there, you can sign up for my free newsletter with tips on taking back your health. Be sure to leave a rating and a review for the podcast and follow the podcast to be notified of new episodes every week. Can't wait to see you next time.